Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today, I have Dr. Davis Morgan. Dr. Morgan attended West Texas State University, then went to get his dental degree from Baylor College of Dentistry. From there, he went to places like the Coy Center in Seattle, Mission Implant, uh, Mission International Implant Center in Detroit, and many others. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. You and Trina have been amazing to us, and it's so wild to be part of your story from Midlothian to Lubbock. But you know, you don't know it, but you've you and Trina have made our company so much better with watching how you've operate, watching how you engage patients, and you know how the phone was answered from from all the little things that you've done. You have forced us to level up our game on marketing to meet you, and uh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, you 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 may not know it, but but you're uh, you and Trina are legends in the in the halls of pain free for what you've meant to us. It's really been valuable to you know be partners so long. But so thank you again, and and I just wanted to share that. But I would love to hear your story in dentistry. I don't know. I have really ever heard how you got started, and and you know I do know from Middle Earth and to love it, but. Yeah, talk me through your journey. Well, th thank you, Eric. Uh, it's uh, it's an honor uh, to be uh, on your podcast. I, I follow you guys, obviously, and you've really picked up your game with the podcast and things like that. Uh, and now I, um, I think I was telling you, I'm working on a little studio in uh, in uh, at our house, at our home, and uh, I hope to do some podcasting myself from that so uh, that's kudos to you guys at pain free for jumping in there i'm like well they can do it I can. thank you thank you i i was on a podcast with alex nottingham several months ago and i kind of had the same epiphany if he can do it i can probably do it but i will say the best advice i was ever given is edit yourself for the first you know learn how to edit your own first you know 10 or 12 and you pick up the speech behaviors and things that you're likely to do and you'll clean them up in the episode versus having to clean them up post-production. That's good. Um, uh, that sounds like good sound advice. So my journey in the dentistry really began fairly early uh, in my life. My dad was a high school football coach. My mother had gone to college but she didn't have her master's degree to teach which is what she had, uh, at some point hoped to do my dad's jobs took them to different small west texas communities primarily and in a couple of those communities she uh, worked for the local dentist as a dental assistant mm -hmm. and so at a very early age it was always fun for my brother and I to get to go up to the office because school got out early or something like that. On the, here we were. One of the dentists that she worked for had uh, little rubber molds that you could mix up plaster. And he showed my brother and I how to mix up plaster and we'd you know, make little animal molds and things. Yeah, it was always fun. And, and I was fortunate. Um, I, I know today I didn't have the risk factors associated with decay. And my mother was very adamant about us taking care of our teeth, of course. And uh, so I didn't have any dental issues. And so really my visit was always, you know, for routine cleanings and x-rays and that type of thing. As we got older and my dad's moving to different communities for the next best coaching job, his last coaching position was in the, the only time we lived out of Texas. He, he coached it 
uh, New Mexico Military Institute High School for three years, his last three years of coaching. And one of the kids that he coached there, his dad was a, a dentist in uh, Roswell, New Mexico. And he wasn't just an ordinary. He was really doing big dentistry, fixing people's teeth and, and hmm. things. And I, I, I admired him as an individual and also admired the lifestyle. He wasn't, he didn't live an extravagant lifestyle, but I tell you, very comfortable. It's definitely more than a coach's salary. And then when he, we moved to a West Texas town near Lubbock, and I went through junior high and high school there. And so for me, that was the longest we had lived in any one place. So that was home. <laughs> yeah, I went through junior high and high school, formative years, made some great friends. I'm still friends with those a number of those individuals that were classmates of mine in small communities. So Trina and I married very early. Uh, actually, technically, uh, our senior years in high school, we went to different schools that we met through mutual friends and went off to West Texas State, which is now West Texas A&M. And uh, then I was accepted into dental school and we moved to uh, Dallas to attend Baylor College of Dentistry, which is now Texas A&M College of Dentistry. And one of my very closest friends that I met in dental school is an Aggie, just an Aggie. We always envisioned that we would come back to the West Texas area. And I decided in some ways to show Trina that I was serious about being a, a business owner to interview some local dentists in the area. We we lived near Lancaster, Texas and the of that area. And so I made some appointments towards the end of my junior year to meet with some different dentists and just ask them questions about how did you decide on where you located your office? You know, what's it take to run a business? And one of those individuals, as I got closer to the end of my senior year, we stayed in touch. We kind of hit it off. Dr. Charles Williams, he had a practice in Paris. He bought his a second practice in Red Oak. And he said, I'm going to need an associate. And he had had associates over the years, but he hadn't had one for a few years. And he said, I'm going to need an associate if you'd be interested. Well, having two daughters and living in a mobile home and being offered a job that I could start immediately out of school was just too good to pass up. And after a year, that relationship was good it just that the, his second practice wasn't growing like he had anticipated it to and, and we had a conversation he's like i'm, I'm either going to have to employ you part-time and you work for one of my other colleagues or something in the area or he said i know where an office was that the dentist left and i think it's still maybe even has some equipment in it over in duncanville and so we drove over there and looked at it sure enough it a dentist, uh, I guess, had gone under, you know, which was really mm. rare. Rare. Uh, under 3%, right? Under 2%. Yeah. Uh, oh. But there was. There was a little bit of equipment, and the bank didn't want it. I was telling you earlier, though, we, we struggled with financing. I, I came out of dental school. I had like $70,000 of debt. And it wow. Was, most of my classmates, even those that had higher debt, there weren't many that had more than about $150,000. Of course, today... That's not the case. I mean, even in the less expensive programs, they, you know, these young dentists are coming out with anywhere. I would say the low end would be three hundred thousand. Yeah. You know, it's common to hear five hundred to you know seven, eight hundred. Five seven, yeah. And Very high. You're going to buy an existing practice that can mean anywhere from another on the low end three hundred and fifty thousand to over a million dollars, depending on what you're looking at. 
But uh, financing wasn't easy when I came out of dental school. Of, of all things, I, I didn't need hundreds of thousands of dollars. I wasn't buying an existing, mm-hmm. existing patient base, that type of thing. And so we started the practice in Duncanville. I say on a shoestring, literally on a shoestring. Mm-hmm. We got to the bank. They had decided that they would go ahead and accept a signature loan. So we got going, and I signed up on every single plan there was. You know, HMOs were big. PPOs mm-hmm. weren't even really a thing at that time. And then there were all these capitation plans. Like some of that's making the resurgence now. I see you know, TV commercials. I'm sure, it's but that was the business model that my employer, Dr. Williams, ran things. I just thought that's what you did. The more patients you could have, the better. And then, of course, I wanted to do more than just fillings and crowns. I wanted to make people's smiles look better at all, but they don't really go into a lot of the rehab stuff in dental school. They're doing good in four years just to get you out where you can do feelings and harm people. Mm-hmm. I realize that today, but I kind of had a chip on my shoulder about it. But the more I took on like that, it was frustrating. It was challenging. And then with all of the HMOs and everybody just wanted their free services. They didn't want to pay for anything. That I felt like that was really a large part of what I patient base that I had with those type of plans. And I was frustrated. At five years out of dental school, I was looking at selling the practice and if I was going to continue doing dentistry, maybe joining the Air Force and and doing that. Trina and I talked about but then we had our, our third and last child, our son, the kids are young, we can live abroad, you know, blah. And I actually talked to a guy that had done that very thing. And our circumstances were slightly different and he shared his experience. So that kind of got me off of that. So I went around one thing I will say that that was good. I was frustrated. I was looking for answers. I knew there were some guys that had graduated several years ahead of me that seemed to be doing really well in Dallas in different areas. And so I would go shadow. I'd, I'd call them up and say, hey, you can just see how you're doing things. Of course, they were doing larger case dentistry. They were mostly fee-for-service. And the, continu- the, 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 the constant uh, message that came across from each individual, I went to like four or five different offices, but it was continuing education, not just any continuing education. You know, several of them had gone to the Panky Institute. A couple of them mentioned Dr. Pete Dawson, who had started his own institute, which was considered the master at the Panky Institute. And Dr. Dawson came through Dallas, and I decided, well, I'll go check out his seminar and see what he's all about. And it was his top 10%, how to put your practice in the top 10%. And it was all about fee-for-service. But a lot of it was about predictable dentistry, how you do things, your records, understanding occlusion, understanding the jaw joints, function, understanding what you're looking at and solving the problem and, and having the end result in mind. So I decided to go with Dr. Dawson because it was a shorter commitment in time and not as expensive. He, he broke it down into smaller segments. I, I went through all of his courses, his hands-on and, and all that. And after that, I began to see it was true that what the joy that I wasn't receiving in dentistry was because I wasn't getting the results because I really didn't know what I was going to do. And I believed in their systems and how to get the results. That's the thing. And by that point in time, we had 
transition the practice from Duncanville to Midlothian, which is about a 15 mile. And we're beginning to transition out of all the plans. We didn't do it all at once. You know, if there's any young guys out there wondering, how do I do that? How do I transition to fee for service? It is definitely a transition. I can share my insight with <laughs> more than happy to. There's more than one way to do it, but we did mm -hmm. it over about a five to seven year period of time. And honestly, mm -hmm. the best patients in those plans ended up staying with us. We, yeah. were able, we were able to find a way to help them stay in the practice, and uh, they were very loyal. But yes, uh, learning that and learning how to do dentistry. The Panky Institute went a little bit more into your office systems and not just how you treat your patients, how you treat your team and the systems you need so that your team can perform at their best level. And, uh, and so that made a difference and made a difference in who I began hiring as team members. And I've had some great, great team members over the year. You know, I couldn't have done any of that without having them believe in it as well. And I gradually went from the restorative side to went out to Mish Institute, did the implant thing. So I, I teamed back up with my friend that I referred to earlier. So I might as well admit it, I'm just an Aggie. We were doing the same continuing education, just not at the same time. And then one, we got together for golf or something once. And it's like, this is silly. You know, we enjoy each other's company and we don't see each other enough. Let's do our continuing education together. So we did the Mish surgical and prosthetic program together. And then after that, we hear things about guys like Hoist or Steer and that. So I'll go check that out. And I've had some friends from Panky that had gone out with Hoist. So it really <laughs> seemed to clear up some things and was, and had a little less challenging pathway to get the result for the patient. That's my story, and that's how I got to the point where we're doing and then incorporating those things into a very busy practice. That's when you guys came along. It's like, mm -hmm. I want to see more of the patients that need rehabs, whether it's on teeth or implants or what. But that's where my passion lies. And I remember, you know, when we started working with you guys, you know, we, I will say, we had the typical, I think, client deal. It's like, all right, we're going to hire this marketing team and they're going to do all of our marketing like magic, right? And then we were kind of frustrated with the results and we kept pressing, pressing you guys. I know that. You remember the one day Trini's like, well, he says I should just fire y'all and put the money in in in, a, in our portfolio. And I said, well, I wasn't going to bring that up, but you know, we had a very candid yep. conversation about it. it's not. I don't want eighty five patients in a month. I want I, I I would be happy with five of the exact patients that I'm wanting to treat. You know, type deal. And we started working, but we did not realize a lot of the content that the marketing company that pain free or any marketing company you've got to give them something to work with or else they're going to have to use stock and prefabricated things and that in social media is as we all know today that just doesn't gain the traction yeah and so it was a two-way street and and we needed to sweep our side of the street you know i was very guilty of, of that and i didn't really understand marketing I understand it so much. You know, before we left Midlothian, we were seeing that happen. And it, really, it was really taking off. And, you know, in 2020, we had, we were on fire. I mean, we were going to have a record year by, not just by like 5%. It was, mm -hmm. it was on track to be over 20% growth in production and, and the type of dentistry that we wanted to do. And then March, we got, shut down. I yep. was 
I was, man, I went through depression, bitterness, you name it. I'm like, they just knocked the air, my feet right out mm. of We took all the air out of our sails. And um, we started spending more time. We had some ranch property at the time. We spent more time out there. I had a lot of time to think during those seven, eight weeks that we really weren't doing much and um, following different podcasts and things like that coming out to Lubbock more, and Trina had been saying, uh, I see Lubbock in our future. She'd been coming quite a bit more to help her mother. Dad's health had declined, so uh, I started spending more time coming to Lubbock as well, and man, Lubbock was growing. I was like, you know what? I think I think I could, could go ahead and transition, so we looked for a buyer, not a not an associate to transition in the ownership. And the Lewis Health Professions helped us find the right buyer, Dr. Noe Haramia. It was what he was looking for as well. And it was a great transition, able to kind of help get him started off. He had a very much same interest in kind of complex dentistry. Mm-hmm. And so we had some patients already going where he could, you know, we could do that side by side. And so a little bit of mentoring there, but he took those reins and ran with it. And we contacted you guys about a year in advance and said, here's what we're going to do. We're selling the practice. And we're going to open up from scratch. And love it. But by then I had so much faith in the marketing and what the marketing could do. And that is exactly what's propelled our growth. You mentioned the COVID time. Is that the, is that your, personal darkest time in dentistry is there a time that what's what were the highs and lows of those you know those 35 years if you will man i was really low i really wanted out of dentistry like i said five years out of dental school i kind of wanted out and it was because i didn't know what i didn't and so that was a pretty low point i mean for me to say as much as i love dentistry anybody that knows me today say you're kidding i was not kidding I wanted out. I didn't know what I was going to do. Like I said, I thought maybe military. So it was fairly low. But yeah, COVID, the shutdown, the mandate, there were on so many different fronts. It was such a letdown. And I won't want to get into any kind of political this or that or anything, but just the way things were handled. Mm-hmm. And at first, dentistry wasn't considered an essential only for emergencies. Well, by that point in my time, having employed the Dawson, Vish, Coist principles well ingrained into our, not just our practice, but our patient base. I didn't have an emergency based practice. It was rare that I get a call for an yeah. emergency. You know, so it's like, I don't, you know, we went back and forth. Do we keep the office open? Do we furlough our employees? Rules and regulations. I didn't feel like we could get that traction going again because I knew what it took to, to get the, the patients that were, we were attracting through our marketing. I had a great patient base there locally, and they were loyal, and I had a very busy hygiene department and all that. We were really starting to get people from around the Metroplex seeking our office out mm-hmm. for complex dental care outside of the zip code area. And so it's like, if this is dead in the water, how many months will it take us to get that going again? Which we kept marketing through that time, but we didn't have any great you know, current content. So I just knew I was going to do something different. I told Trina, I said, we can either sell the practice or when I come back and my team, if if any of my team members that were working with me then (laughs) hear this, they won't know it, but I always come back. I'm going to cut my days down to three days a week. We'll probably need about half of our team. tired of doing what I'm doing, the way we're doing it. And I want to do something different. So, you know, Trina, I, I knew that she would say it'd be silly to not 
sell it, we'd worked hard to get the practice up to the point that it was. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. That was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's been amazing on Lubbock. I mean, you guys have started off hot and, and just continued to grow. And it's so wild because, you know, on paper, Lubbock looks like an incredibly competitive area. And you guys have just come in and, and you know, you brought the discipline and rigor that you had in Midlothian through those years to Lubbock. And certainly the staff is is amazing. And, you know, you've always hired well and, and been held a good team around you, but it's it's be, really been pleasing. I get a great deal of pleasure watching you grow out there in Lubbock because it's not my story, but I, I like to be part of it, you know, that, that, that had the marketing. Now, in the time you've been in dentistry, I, I think you've probably saw the, you know, the digital, the digitization of records. You've seen, you know, comb beams, you've seen lasers, you've seen scanners, you, you know, the, to the CEREC machines. What's been the biggest improvement to dentistry that you've seen in your career? A couple of things. I will say going back to CEREC, I, um, I began following CEREC in 95. And so I went to like a little dinner presentation thing on it. The guy that was speaking, you know, was showing the electron micrograph photos of the ceramics that were being used with the CEREC milling blocks. And this was before even like the blue block and stuff and Emacs. This was prior to Emacs. But those blocks and the way they were formed, you didn't end up with the abrasivity porcelain against natural teeth. And I knew then, and I came home from that, I told Trina, I said, that's what we need to be putting in our patients' mouths because it won't damage. So you put it against a gold crown, which was blasphemous in the realm of dentistry at the time. And she's like, yeah. So I think she went to a, a program with me, and it's always had a high price tag on it. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think you need to invest in something like that for that much money that you're going to want to, like, throw gasoline on and light it every day and she was probably right because it was still basically a dos you know the black screen with the green yellow lines and that kind of thing you had to create everything and so i just started following it and then in 2008 i bought my first series well it was first i've had two and that was a big and it was a challenge it was more windows based it was a sharp learning curve and i was determined if i'd spent that much money we were going to use it i wasn't going to push it over in the corner so it could be a hold up a potted plant or something and some days were pretty rough Uh, the assistants would even talk to trina about maybe he should she's like good luck getting him to do that you know he's probably not going (laughs) to throw in the towel on it and i didn't i'm glad to fast forward to today and we have digital design programs that make CEREC look like elementary stuff mm-hmm. uh, exocad I, I had it before i left midlothian a, a, a young prosthodontist by the name of john Bowie had moved to town he did everything digital and he had learned on the itero system uh, while he was in residency and i when he got the exocad software he was so excited that i could see this software of course he was really well versed he's well versed with computers I'm, i've never been a gamer i'm the, only, I'm the guy that i'll buy the t- you know, i just want to push a button turn it on and know it's going to work so i went over there and he showed me everything that he could do with it but i came home and i told Trent, i said when we do another office we're going to do it all digital because that is the way of the future and so from 
intraoral scanning to design software. Now we have photogrammetry that, that captures implant positions more accurately than any impression system we've designed to date. It's really cool and it's a steep learning curve some of it but that is that's the biggest change especially you know being able to place the implants and the day of surgery getting that record it's like took us three months to get to before you know try-ins and jig impressions all Mm -hmm. these open tray impressions and this stuff and to be able to capture that, I remember my first surgery here in Lubbock went really long. That's a that's a story in and of itself. But on a former classmate, I knew it was <laughs> going to be a challenge, mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. the least. But we got through it. But I got home, and she's like, "Wow, that was a long day for you." And I said, "Yeah, it was." I said, "But you don't understand." I said, "I think I I think I can use this for my final impression if I need to," and it fit like perfect. The teeth just dropped into place, screwed them down. I mean, everything that you struggle so hard to create in the analog world in one visit, it's amazing. It's really mm-hmm. amazing. So only you can say that after such a long day. Now, is that the, would you say that that's been the biggest improvement in the quality of care is the, you know, being less invasive and shorter recovery times? Is that is, yeah. is that what it, it buys you? I think so. In in the analog methods that I had used for a number of years, it was a challenge to get to the final delivery of the final prosthetics within, you know, 12 visits with anywhere from one to four or five weeks in between. You know, if, if we could get all that in, in in under eight months, we were doing pretty good. And now I see that Honestly, we could probably go to final restorations in as few as three three months. You know, I'm, I tell my patients today that, you know, I, I don't like to move too fast on some of that. I do like to make sure everything's going to heal up well before we put our final prosthetics on. So I'm, I'm going anywhere from about four and a half to five months. That's down from eight months to over a, a year, you know, in cases that had challenges within them and back and forth between the laboratory and starting over from scratch and it was well over a year you know and patients are aware of that too so yeah being able to, to do that from the day of surgery almost is remarkable i mean in marketing that is probably the most challenging thing when you market implants is you'll get groups that market teeth in a day and i mean just the education around why the heck would you want teeth in a day but you know, people, some people do, I guess. But how do you talk to patients who have reached a point in their life where, you know, they, they do need that full rehab? Because they come in with some degree of shame, right? Talk me through what you say to someone in that situation. Well, I'll tell you, you know, some of, some of my mentors, you know, those that are listening that, that had the pleasure of knowing Pete Dawson, you know, he was... Not only was he an exceptional dentist and educator, but one of the one of the nicest individuals you could ever meet. So by the time I met him, he was in his mid seventies. He was going strong. I mean, Pete went strong up to ninety, ninety one, something like that. And he was preparing a lecture for the next week. They said, you know, the week that he died. But he was he was really nice. But you know, he didn't go on a lot about how you talk to patients. Uh, but he would say some things. Some of the things that 
I found over the years that guys like him, John Coyce, Carl Nish, sometimes it's when they start talking about, I had this patient and I had this conversation. You know, how do you tell the patient? I'm like, I'd listen up. I'd write that down nearly verbatim because it's like they had such a nice way of telling the patient, I see your problems without saying, shame on you. You know, you've really neglected your teeth kind of deal. And uh, one of the guys that, that really blew the top off of that for me was John Coyce. You know, his one of his mottos is better dentistry through you know, proven science. And this concept that came from our dentist who that was part of our education process. If you don't brush your teeth twice a day and floss at least once a day and see your dentist at least every six months to have your teeth professionally cleaned, you will have a train wreck. You know, you're going to have cavities, you're going to have bad teeth. It happen. And then when you get into private practice and you start to see some of these individuals that come into your office, they haven't, they don't, they brush once a day. They never floss. They, they might use toothpicks. They, they haven't been to the dentist 15, 20 plus years. They don't have periodontal disease. They don't have any cavities. You know, what do you tell that patient? You need to come back in six months because if you don't, I, I see the beginnings of a lot of cavities. Mm -hmm. You basically have to lie to them. And John, through his research with others as well, he they realize that you have to have a risk. Some people have a risk for all sorts of different illnesses, and some people don't. You know, um, and so when it comes to oral health, it's no different. You you may have a risk, and, and the risk factors are complicated and, and deep. It's not just genetic. You know, there's so many different levels of that that go way beyond even what I understand. But you either have a risk for periodontal disease, or you, you have a decay risk, or you, and you, there are things you can do to help yourself out, like going to the dentist on a regular <laughs> basis and things like that. But you know, some some guys just don't. It used to just kill my hygienist. That I had this one patient. He's like, I brush once a day and I brush really good. And he was, when he started coming to see us. He was in his late seventies, and he didn't have one cavity. He didn't have any signs of gingival inflammation. He didn't have any plaque. You know, I just didn't have to spend 15 minutes with him. And, and, and when he'd bring that up, you know, well, he says, I need to floss and this and that and everything. And I'm like, well, it looks like you're doing a pretty good job like that. And I should, I should just, why did you tell him that? You can't, you can't deny the, the evidence that it's the facts are there, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I wouldn't recommend that for everybody. But obviously for Bill, his name is Bill. So obviously for Bill, it's working. And he, you know, and, and I think at that point, I might, I really understood what I do today about, it, you know, so his brushing really well once a day was, was doing that. But, you know, you do, you know, with what we're doing here in Lubbock in the marketing, we are trying to attract patients that know they have a train wreck. And mm -hmm. they either, either that or there's things about their smile that they don't like. And so I learned over the years that, it's not about shaming someone or saying, man, you're right. You do have a mess going on. They know. They've been trying to hide it from the world. Mm -hmm. And my job is to try to make them feel like, hey, you, you chose the right office. We're just glad you're here. You know, we're really glad you're here. We can help. What, you tell me what you want to do. And then we try to have the things in line, you know, with financing and things like that to help patients achieve 
what they want. And we hear that a lot that we don't let that patients don't feel ashamed when they're in office. And man, I tell you, you know, getting their initial photos can really be a challenge because they've been on years trying not to show their teeth. And it's like, no, you don't understand. I need to see how high your lips move. Because yeah. when we get finished, you're going to want to smile. And I need to make sure that your smile is going to look really, you smile like you have the prettiest teeth that you could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to have those conversations pretty regularly with them. It's like, we want to see it. Yeah. We want to see yeah. it because, because we're going to help you get rid of that. You know, and mm-hmm. we're going to give you a smile. And we had a lady in today, and, and she was in for like kind of a celebration appointment. And she doesn't like cameras and all that. But Haley got a, an interview with her. And, we took some pictures with her and all that, and that was one of the things that, that she said. She said, y'all didn't make me feel bad about my situation. And then after she got off of the interview and everything, she stood up there and talked at the front desk with Haley, and she kept saying things like, she said, well, I used to never want to smile. And she and her husband own a, like a restaurant, brewery type deal in the public eye, and, you know, hiring people. She said, I never wanted to smile and everybody just thought I was mean. She said, I cannot quit smiling now. That's and such a great story. Like, yeah. I want that on the... She's like, no, I'm not going to do any more interviews. <laughs> yeah, we need that for marketing. No, I, final question. What's what's next for you? I mean, you've 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 done amazing in Midlothian. You went out to Lubbock and I mean, you, you guys continue to grow. What Where, where do you... Where, where's next for you? Are you going to finish your... Uh, become a... Not a diplomat, but... Uh, what were you saying earlier? You had one class left. Alumni, uh, an alumni. Yeah, is that Doctor Coy? You can you know, get your podcast. You're an alumni, you can actually be an official mentor. I I like to mentor other dentists, younger dentists, uh, and things. Uh, share my experience, strength, and hope because certainly some of what I've learned along the way is because of you know doing the wrong thing, you know what not to do, and so you know there's times where it's like maybe I can share some information on how to avoid you don't have to like lose sleep over certain issues because mm-hmm. of your decisions you know but i would like to do that you know we're about to begin a, a little campaign here in that the young dentists coming out of school uh, they have so much debt and really the insurance companies have a very large presence in our education process i understand that one of the main insurance companies is about to fund a dental school that's right. Towards the West Coast. And so there's a lot of pressure to, uh, you have to be a PPO provider, that kind of thing. And my message out there is you don't have to. Now, I did do that. That is how I got my start. And so I understand that. And not everybody coming out, you know, you, you do have to develop the skills along the way to do what it is that I'm doing. You know, either that or go, you know, get accepted into a prosthodontic program somewhere. Uh, and do that, put your career on a few more years hold and, and acquire and a little more debt. Do that, yeah. <laughs> but I do tell a younger dentist all the time, don't let the debt scare you away. Dentistry is an awesome profession. And uh, and it has done really well with me on my lifestyle, uh, what I do, the enjoyment that I get out of dentistry, enjoyment that you get changing someone's life. And so we're going to start a campaign that is targeted towards some of the younger dentists here in, in the Lubbock area, or even, even uh, you know, an, an older dentist, probably not as old as me. But some of the guys have been at it for a while. They're like, you know, I really want to change, you know, what I'm doing and, and how we do things and, and just try to 
garner some cases that we can work together on the the digital era uh the, the all the digital technologies and things like that it, it is hard to sift through the mirage of things that you have to choose who's the best and this and just kind of help get someone started and nudge but particularly the younger dentists that are either just started a practice they they've been in the corporate world for a while and they're tired of that and they've started a practice but it's daunting and you know they're, they're signed up on the ppos because they need patients and, and it's just filling some single crowns and but they want to do implants and larger things how do you go about it how to at least get them acquainted with here's here's how you do this and, and and work together on some cases and then head them off in the direction of the coist or panky or mish that kind of deal to to really you know because anyone i have this conversation with what i'm like you know saying well davis Morgan showed me how to do this that, that won't get you very far you know and especially <laughs> if you end up having to defend yourself it's not going to hold water Mm-hmm. But if you've got the credentials behind you of the, of the more esteemed education centers, then that does hold water. And yeah. but it's and it's fun. You meet people. I still have friends that we. I mean, I've got a group text daily that these five guys that we met out at the Pank Institute in 1997. They're all around the country, and uh, the five of us have remained good friends and uh, if we don't do something dental together each year we find a way to have a little mini vacation or something where we get together so you make great lasting friendships out of it too so it's it's the journey enjoying the journey the education is part of that process because you do have to be able to deliver what you say you're going to deliver <laughs> you have to be able to solve problems uh, you know this level of dentistry there's Sometimes it's it's frustrating for me to, to work out a problem that may occur, you know, but I do know that if we work on it, I know that if I don't know the answer at this point in my career, I know someone that does have. And that's really reassuring. I've had patients that have left, like in my Midlothian practice, and it'll get this way in, in Lubbock, uh, that have to move for work or whatever. And they're like, man, I just can't bear the thought of, you know, having to find another dentist on it's like, well, where are you going to move to? You know, I have a network of colleagues around the country from these different associations that I've been associated with, and, and we'll find you a, a quality dentist, you know, someone that would be more in line with what you're used to. You don't have to just go and ask your neighbor or somebody. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so it's cool. It's rewarding to be able to do that. No, oh, thank you so much for sharing, and thank you for being on the show. I'm Dr. Moore, I mean, like, so you mean so much to us. And then, you know, thanks for letting us be part of your journey through all that. Well, you guys, you know, you said that at the first, which is very kind. And Trina and I and the team here appreciate that so much um, because we have come a long way from where we started. But the other thing on that is we've learned, I've learned so much more about what it takes to produce quality marketing. And and there's a big onus of that on on me on, <laughs> on my team to give you guys content that you can work with, and y'all are just masterful at being able to take that content and help us create you know what it is that we're looking for. And I'll tell you, I, I'm a huge believer in marketing. I was one of those guys for years. It's like well, 
people like me, I give a good shot. You know, patients mm-hmm. are always raving about, well, I, I don't, you know, we get a lot of word of mouth referrals. I don't need that. And for maybe a certain level of dentistry, that might have held true. And I'd hear, I'd hear marketers talk about, you need to spend 5% of your gross production on it. But now, having done this in Lubbock from scratch, this is a from scratch office. And to be where we're at in less than a year is nothing short of remarkable. And so, my hats off to you and your group. Thank, thank you. Group. Thank you so much. You guys yeah. have hired a quality team as well. And, and we enjoy our interactions with every single member of your team that we've had. Be sure that they all understand that and know that, that y'all are part of our team. No, we, thank you so much. We we feel the same. It's all come together and they're they're amazing. But yeah, thank you so much for the kind words. And thanks for being on the show. All right. Thanks for having me.